Tuesday, February 14th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Charlie Travers, and for Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Maker. Gentlemen, happy Valentine's Day. Hey, Chris. Happy Valentine's Day. Joe Maker, already digging into the <coughs> box of chocolate that we have on the table here. It's in the chocolate. We will get to the chocolate in a moment. Um, uh, in honor of Valentine's Day, we will talk about the business of one candy maker, but we are going to start with Chesapeake Energy. Uh, the company is preparing to sell its oil and gas fields in Texas and New Mexico for as much as $12 billion. Chesapeake and other exploration and production companies like ConocoPhillips have been cutting back on gas production. So, Joe, I will start with you. $12 billion, that's that's going to look good on, uh, on Chesapeake's balance sheet, won't it? Yeah, that's good news if you're a Chesapeake shareholder because they have a number of positions throughout the country. They basically went on this huge land grab and got all these leaseholds, trying to grow production in a big way, and then the bottom fell out in natural gas. They were too leveraged, and so now they're trying to unlock value by selling all these properties. That's good. That is good. The bad news is they've once again gone back on their word about not taking on debt. Just on Thursday, the head of IR was bragging that they had cut their debt load by $2 billion. On Monday, they announced they are raising a billion dollars in 10-year debt to help finance. Uh, Maybe something changed over the weekend. Yeah. Maybe he ran the numbers again and was just like, no, actually, we... He's like, oh, dude, <laughs> I missed a few zeros. No, it's just the frustrating thing is, if you're a Chesapeake shareholder, that they have done this move so many times over the years where they'll commit to one capital allocation strategy and then dramatically shift back. If you are Aubrey McClendon, who's the CEO, your argument is, look, we're just trying to be opportunistic with what the market's throwing us. And yep. there is something to that. At the same time, they keep going back and forth and jerking shareholders around. And that's why the stock is trading at a discount to all its assets, which everyone can agree are valuable. But when you don't trust management, that's especially in a, when you don't trust management in a business where you're counting on assets to be unlocked, then you've got a real problem and you're never going to live up to the valuation. Charlie, you were talking on a recent podcast about Chesapeake Energy. What, what do you make of the last uh, few days worth of events? You can't be frustrated or disappointed if you're a shareholder at this point because you have to see it coming. I mean, this, <laughs> yeah. You go in eyes wide open and you take it for granted that this company has you know incredibly valuable assets, low-cost production, and with natural gas at a 10-year low, you just kind of wait it out for price to inevitably rebound, which it will. Uh, and you just kind of ride out this kind of stuff. But when you say take it for granted, I mean, you, you and going in eyes yeah. wide open, are you referring to McClendon? You're talking about the management team? And just the hyper-aggressive capital yeah. allocation that this company does. And it's, you know, to their credit, it's paid off in the long run, but it's high risk. When you step back from it and you look at this company, it does have a couple of things that, as Motley Fools, we you know, we espouse and we like to see. It is a founder-led company. For whatever you think of Aubrey McClendon and the way he's run the company, it is a founder-led company. We like to see that. Um, it uh, made Fortune Magazine's list of the 100 best companies to work for. So, but, but how do you reconcile those types of things with, you know, what at least the way you're talking right now seems like a business that you want nothing to do with? Look, we do love founder-led companies, but there's some nuance here. We like founder-led companies where the founders respect outside shareholders, which is not the case at Chesapeake, where they consistently jerk people around. You know, the whole map scandal, I don't know if listeners are familiar with this. I think we talked about that last time. He, yeah. Uh, he sold his ancient maps to the uh, to the company. 
Yeah, it's a total, <laughs> it's a total farce. And the only reason it hasn't changed is because you know he's the chairman, CEO, co-founder, you know, crony buddies on the board, and they're not going to push him out because they're buddies with him, and they get a nice fat paycheck every year. So apart, let's remove management and just focus on the balance sheet. You know, if they're going to get twelve billion dollars added to the balance, how does how does the balance sheet stack up against? You know, competitors like ConocoPhillips or even an ExxonMobil. Well, Chesapeake's balance sheet is always notoriously weak. And, you know, for the cash coming in, they are giving away assets. So you're adding money to one line and taking it off of another. This company runs with a very thin cash balance for a company this size. And it's no wonder it gets into trouble when the price of gas falls. Uh, I think I know the answer to this, but I will ask this question anyway. Uh, Joe referred to the stock trading at a discount. And certainly over the last one, two, five years, this is a stock that is lost to the market. But you look, you, you broaden that time horizon. You look 10 years out and 20 years out. It's a market that is not, it's a stock that's not only beating the market, it's crushing the market. Right. Um, do you think because it's at a discount right now, is this a buying opportunity? I could see Chesapeake doing very well, but it's not anything to do with management or their capital allocation. It's having to do with natural gas prices being attractive. And I think a rising tide will lift all boats there, but it's not the first place I would go. Like I would look to a place where something like Arrange Resources, which is a much better run. I don't think there's nearly the confusion about who is in charge and who is actually profiting from this business. It's a lot cleaner business, low-cost reserves, simple to understand, and a natural takeout candidate. Uh, we're going to dip into the Fool mailbag. You can always drop us an email, radio at fool.com. Got a great email recently. Um, a long-time listener writes, congrats on your 200th episode of Market Foolery. During a recent episode, you were curious as to why C's Candy... Uh, C's Candies was frequently called out as a Berkshire subsidiary in light of its small size relative to Geico, Mid-American, etc. In addition to being a cash-generating machine and one of Berkshire's prized investments, C's is special because they make great candy. In addition, many Californians associate C's with fond childhood memories. I still remember C's Candy as a staple in my annual Easter baskets. So to celebrate your 200th episode and to give you a chance to sample the goods, which if you're listening closely, you can hear Joe Mager already is. It's delicious. Chewing it in the microphone. Uh, I've shipped a box of assorted chocolates along with Warren and Charlie's favorite peanut brittle to Fool HQ. Enjoy and keep up the great work on the show. Market Foolery is part of my morning routine. Here's to 200 more episodes. Fool on. This is from John Jacobus. Um, uh, who works at Accenture? Just figured that out from his email address, and um, and this is not a tit for tat thing. I just I, we appreciate the candy, so thank you, John. Thank you for the nice note. We got we got a bunch of nice uh, congratulatory emails on the two hundredth uh, episode of Market Foolery. Uh, but John, thank you for the candy, which we have in front of us now. Um, I, I'm just going to point out that Accenture. Uh, over the last one, two, and five years, the stock's beaten the market. That's all I'm going to say about Accenture. That's just a fact. That's just a little thing I'm going to throw out there about Accenture. Um, Joe, if you're done chewing, and maybe to give I'm che- mostly there, <laughs> and and maybe to get, slide the box on over to Charlie so he can sample some. Um, you were the one talking about Berkshire, and I mean John is putting it charitably when he um, um, says that we were curious about Seas Candy. I think I I. I think, I think Charlie the, very shamelessly. I, that's was like, a pretty shameless request. Well, It'd be cool if somehow we yeah. could get some. Well, no, yeah, no, sure no that was some. no question. That was shameless on Charlie's part. But um, I, I wasn't curious about C's candy. I believe what I, uh, I the direct quote from you was, "What is the big deal with C's candy?" Um, yeah. And you were the one talking about Berkshire. Um, what did Warren Buffett see in this company? I mean, was it just the the cash generation? I mean, Buffett famously has a sweet tooth. I'm just wondering. 
one, what did he see in the company? And two, what, if anything, uh, in terms of an investing lesson, can we take away from this? Sure. So Seas is a classic Buffett investment. He bought it from a family that had been running it for about five decades. And business spun off a lot of cash. It was very small. And at some point, they wanted to sell the business. And they were looking for someone who would own it and take care of it and let them run it. Berkshire Hathaway was a natural partner, and Berkshire has since gone on to do that with many family-owned businesses. And it's a partner of choice for a lot of companies for that reason, which gives Berkshire a competitive edge. C specifically, they paid $25 million for. Since then, they have made, I'm ballparking because they don't publish exact figures, something like $1.5 billion in pre-tax profit. (laughs) So that's a pretty good return on your investment. And part of the reason it's been such a, a monster home run is, it's a business that just doesn't require much capital reinvestment. And As they can, we can see from the packaging here, which looks like it's about 40 years old. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's got the photo of Mary C., who was the mother of Charles C., Charles and his wife Florence. They're the, they're the ones who started it. And I guess Mary had some of the recipes. I don't know if, if it was her peanut brittle recipe that we're digging into here. But, uh, but yeah, it is sort of the classic, you know, old-time candy box. It works. Um, it works. Yeah. yeah, they're clearly not pouring a lot of money into marketing yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, and, and graphic redesign. Yeah. During the Berkshire meeting, Warren and Charlie will sit at this table and basically just crunch the peanut, peanut brittle the entire meeting. And they're just, you know, you know, Warren's drinking cherry Cokes and they're just eating peanut brittle wow. until Charlie goes to sleep, cherry, which he did this past year. Cherry Coke and peanut brittle. And breakfast of champions <laughs> yeah. right there. Yeah. Um, you met John Jacobus. Right? I did. The, the guy Great who guy. sent us the candy. Yeah, he's an Ivy member. I met him in Omaha at the Berkshire meeting last year and actually ran into him on Friday in New York at the Columbia Investing Conference. It's a totally small world. Um, just to close up on our Valentine's Day podcast, you may have seen the news that Uzbekistan has canceled Valentine's Day. Instead of candy and Valentine's, the government is scheduling commemorative readings and poetry festivals in honor of Babur, a medieval poet and conqueror who was also a descendant of Genghis Khan. Um, I swear I'm not what making that What kind of poetry up. do you do about Genghis Khan? Um, you know, probably odes. Uh, Some like the violent kind? Uh, probably yeah. the violent kind. Yeah. Um, but, um, Joe, you're... I think in a unique position to comment on this because you are just weeks away from getting married to a lovely woman who is from Uzbekistan. So I guess the question I have to ask is, why does your fiancé want to cancel Valentine's Day? (laughs) Well, I called her and I was like, honey, Valentine's is canceled. And she had amazingly not heard this story out of Uzbekistan. And I told her that, well, this year we're going to be celebrating Babur yeah. Instead, and she was like, "I don't even know who that guy is." And you know, she grew up there. So, <laughs> uh, Charlie, if there was one holiday you could cancel for any reason, is is it Valentine's Day, or would you pick something else? Careful, St. Patrick's Day. Really? Why yeah. St. Patrick's? What? Day? Why are you hating it's, on my it's Irish? It's really overrated. Yeah, <laughs> I feel that way about Mardi Gras. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I do think that that St. Patrick's Day, Mardi Gras, and New Year's Eve. Um, I think what it's the, like amateur hour. I was going to say it's it's when the amateur drunks come out. Right. It's like, look, yeah. just just leave the drinking to the professionals, please. <laughs> Whatever you do for Tuesdays, <laughs> exactly. If you're going to get drunk on a Tuesday, you better be a pro. Joe Mager, Charlie Travers, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. 
We'll see you tomorrow. This yeah. is so good. Showing into the microphone. <laughs> Come on. Oh, I think about my food. <laughs>